and we're back welcome to print your games the podcast about what's new and awesome in the world of 3d printing for gamers i'm one of your host jefferson j thacker also known as param and i'm joined by Kristen Sowards, also known as Lost Fears. Uh, Kristen, today's topic after the preamble is going to be the question, what will it take to get 3D printers mainstream? What does this technology still need? What advances need to be made? And what printers are already getting us very close to that? Before we jump into the main topic, let's talk about what you've been printing. What have you been working on, Kristen? I have started a new army slash faction for my role-playing games. Um, my, my setting I wrote, uh, City of Sanceros, has this mm-hmm. faction called the Eternal Dawning. They focus on a virtue, and they like focus on to the point where they slowly morph into like a, a divine state as they become like more and more like like you know D and D or Pathfinder. As your energy becomes more divinely attuned to a thing, you become connected to it in a lot of the mythologies they present. Right. Uh, Similarly, this manifests, they have like a like a communal vibe where each of them kind of takes on a certain color. And so it, it's kind of like they turn into these kind of like rainbow angel things um, or, you know, other different types of like manifestations of these colors. So it's, it's going to be an incredibly colorful project, which makes me super stoked that we got those speed paints and everything from last last week. I'm actually getting to experiment now, mixing contrast, speed paint, intensity inks, all that stuff. And it's been really neat uh, so far, but I got like super into it and I already have like 20 of them started and none of them finished. So hopefully oh, next no. week I'll have better, better pictures of them. And I've got uh, some other traits. I've also done some of my first really hack job collisions to fuse things to bases because some really cool flying figs. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to just quickly throw out there, please, for the love, if you're listening to this and you're a mini creator and you do dynamic bases, that's great. I love you. But something that fits on the table, or at least on a game square, <laughs> like like Raging Heroes, Arc Villain, love their minis. But like mm-hmm. either a, they're on these gossamer ribbons where you have to have like uh, you know five or six inch wide base to carry all those ribbons like under this medium or large size figure. You know, for a lot of the games we play, and mm-hmm. then you know you, you spiral out. You like if you want to take that off, you. She, she, she or he, whatever the fig is, it's not going to work anymore. And so that's really frustrating to me. Um, but but uh, I did some hack job fusing into some bases that seems to have worked <laughs> for the first bit. Um, one of the things I like about Raging, uh, I said Raging Heroes, I'm mean, Heroes Infinite's their patron, but um, you can get stuff that's medium troop size stuff, and they're really good about that. And so there's some nice. really cool stuff there. And I know um, Titan Forge and Arc Villain both have more angels coming. So it's a big mm-hmm. celestial themed army. Um, you know, Celestials, Paladins, Knights sort of stuff. Uh, it's going to be super cool um, and very, very colorful, hopefully. Um, right. Hopefully I can make enough metallic elements that kind of join the whole look at, when you look at it on the table together, but um, I'm, I'm super stoked. How about you? What are you doing? I am continuing the march through necromancy and have worked on, I finally printed that zombie horde I've been putting together and nice. I have started the the long process of painting it uh but i'm actually pretty proud of the paint jobs i've been doing on these zombies uh you can definitely see the dana hell influence it's loud and strong on them um i lean so first the set i ended up settling on uh, not settling on it's actually a very wonderful zombie set that has just enough zombie without too much gore to make like make my stomach churn while i'm intimately working the paintbrush inside oh, their innards cute. yeah like, you don't like the, your the big patent- nurgle no, guts I, slide I, out I of them really like because i'm going to be spending hours and hours and hours staring at these things and like i don't want like their brain half hanging out so 
um, I went with the Highlands Miniatures zombie set. And Highlands I love because they do very old world style models that are kind of like arted up with more realistic proportions. They definitely lean more towards true scale uh, models sure. than any. They, they don't do a whole lot of heroic scale. Like you don't have oversized heads, hands, feet on their models. They're usually more closer to true scale and also they have like a kind of restrained more realistic medieval uh or renaissance era clothing than some of the more fantastical stuff that exists at the time so like their knights don't have like a billion skulls and rosaries hanging from them and, and etc mm -hmm. uh, which is a nice distinct style that i enjoy so i got their zombies i printed out like 40 of them and no 40 of them per print plate and i ran two plates uh and so i've got 80 zombies now and wow, I, that's I, a lot. yeah i don't think i'll paint all 80 of them right yet um i am going to paint at least 48 of them which is enough for me to use them in kings of war as two zombie hordes or as two double regiments in age of fantasy as nice. so a group of 20 and then a group of 28. Uh, so for the paint job, I leaned real heavy into the speed paints because, Oh my gosh, do I need to paint a whole bunch of these? And I do not want to spend forever painting zombies. The so that's really, really good. It reminds me of like some of the good um, batch paints I've seen for zombie zombicide board games. Oh, nice. Um, you like some of the better ones. That's I really like it. And I, I still love the fact that you've got that sneaky underglow in there. And mm -hmm. uh, for people who are listening to this, he does kind of this kind of a misty blue glow. And it just it creates an eerie feeling, uh, again, without probably being too gory. And then you you can just throw them together if you needed to. Even in like a TTRPG encounter, they would still look very cohesive. I just think it's, a, it's such a slick trick to do. I love it. Yeah, and then John put out a video that it was very helpful for this for this job. I did not oh. use any of his techniques. I tried some of his techniques and ended up just using my own techniques. But he did a video a few months ago called "I Paint 120 Zombies in a Day," uh -huh. and I am not that ambitious. Yeah, but yeah. one of the tricks he did use is so I pour. I got my color palette out that I was going to use for the zombies. So all the zombies are using pallid flesh. For uh -huh. the skin. So it's this like really bright lime green flesh, which kind of like makes them look like they're glowing. And I kind of dig it. And when you when you add that that blue green, uh, bright blue green underglow, like I said, the Dana Hal effect, it basically looks like I have this constant gradient of blue green to lime green across the entire zombie. And then the clothes mm -hmm. kind of fill in the detail. But for the clothing, because I have so many of them. So I, I basically poured some brown, some leather, some reds, you know, just in my palette. It. Mm -hmm. And then I would just, and like he did, and like Ninjon did in his video, I did the same thing, but instead of using oil paints, I'm using uh, speed paints mm -hmm. where I would just put my brush in a collar. So I, to, this is the red batch. Mm -hmm. So I would grab a zombie, find something on it, and paint it red, grab the next zombie, find something else on it, and paint it red so that I distributed the colors across all the zombies uh, without painting them all identical so even when i have two zombies that are literally the same model pose though i did do the mirror trick so half the zombies are mirrored of each other so like the zombie up front with his hands he's just like wearing a vest and some trousers and, and his hands out it's mm -hmm. like some of them their that vest is red some of them that vest is dark brown some of them that vest is hunter green yep. and that's because i've just like just randomly grabbed paint put it somewhere on the zombie, grab next zombie, put that same color somewhere else on that zombie, repeat until all the zombies are painted. 
And so far I've painted uh, 27 of these zombies. I've got, nice. uh, I've got some of them up on screen right now. And those are the first six. That was the test batch. And here's a full regiment of zombies all lined up. And they really look cool when you when you line them up. Uh, I like I like seeing models lined up and, and ranked. I of course like want them all like displayed across a battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say if you keep that rotation up good, it's really cool too because like if you're again, I always think of things using for TTRPG, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever. And um, you know, I can be like, oh, I want to attack blue vest guy or green vest guy so it, it just becomes that extra little bit you need to be like i want to attack the red vest zombie and like um your players or you know people are whatever it just gives you so much mm-hmm. easy built-in targeting and um again you don't have to break the immersion by putting numbers or whatever out there which i'm of course obsessed with immersion so I'm yeah and that's, it's though, so. it's it, it super helps also like my goal is to replace all of my pre-painted models my pre-painted whiz kids uh, and, and Watsi models with models I've painted myself. So I I'm not, tend to... I'm hmm? not quite there yet, but every time mm-hmm. I put them out and mix them more and more as I get better and like up my game and get more printed minis that are really just amazing, mm-hmm. I feel bad when I see like somebody like playing the standard, you know, first gen uh, cleric from Paizo's or whatever, uh, WizKids line and it's batch painted in a factory or whatever. And you're suddenly like, oh, wow so sad comparatively but yeah and speaking of well painted i uh, got to hang out with crystal frazier uh, the author mm-hmm. the other day we got together to do some painting sessions so i was painting my zombies and to take a break i painted one of my werewolves and i decided to put my money where my mouth is on this one and just go to town to try to paint the best darn blue awoo i could so and... this was just one mini for such oh gosh the abs yeah the abs yeah, yeah. It helps when I get to paint abs. Like when I get to yeah. just sit there and focus on on getting the perfect abs, I always get a good model out of it. Well, and there's just a lot so, of texture going on with the hair and everything. It's great. Yeah. So it's what like I wet. did with this model, this is a printed werewolf from the vampire set that Cast and Play put out a couple, uh, I guess almost a year ago now for mm-hmm. last Halloween, basically. For, so October, this was their October set. And I just really loved this werewolf. It comes in a couple of poses and it just like really characterful and it's a large size mini. So it's on a 40 millimeter base and it's got this like cool posed howling pose. And, you know, cast and play, they've got this very animated, like Mm -hmm. almost cartoony uh, expression in their art style. So I did not want to do this werewolf standard. I did not want to do this, this dog boy and injustice. So I, did what I suggested the other day, which is I pulled out the speed paints, but just as the base coat. So mm-hmm. uh, because speed paints have that really thin consistency and they are designed to go down in one coat and cover, um, it actually makes base coating super fast. Even when I knew I intended to cover most of this back up with layer paint afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I got my cloudburst blue for the fur instead of gray or brown or something like that or black. I was like blue fur. This is going to be a blue werewolf. Okay. And so I put cloudburst blue across this, which was super dark. It's kind of like a Prussian blue. It's like very dark blue. The, the shadows on that are almost black. And then um, some wildwood uh, for the trousers and, you know, and um, I think uh, dark wood for the fur. Uh-huh. And that just get my base coats down. 
And then from there, I grabbed Proacryl, mixed it with some thinning medium, so uh, which is um, I'm using the Midwinter Minis recipe for the thinning medium. So it's like um, uh, acrylic matte medium mixed with 50-50 with water and a couple of drops of uh, dish soap in it to act as a surfactant, to a flow improver, make a flow improver. Yep. And, and using that instead of water lets you thin the paint down and let it keep its consistency and it flows better without breaking down. Not that you have to do that too much with pro acryl pro acryl is just like magic in a bottle oh, anyway so buttery love it yeah. so i just started layering so after i got that basic base coat down i just started just got out my my fine you know windsor newton series 7 brush and just started putting layer after layer of brighter and brighter blues across those abs and the fur and the eyes and like like the abs are like grab the attention but my favorite part was the face just like tracing the muscle lines and the facial features of this like howling werewolf was where I really uh, think I got it best down. And then of course, grab that, uh, that, that misty blue that all my undead models have and put it over top of that. And the end result was because base coating is like, if you ask any artist, what's their least favorite part of painting minis, it's base coating. Cause it's boring. It's putting down solid blocks of color that takes a lot of your time across a big model and the speed paints make that an incredibly enjoyable experience because it goes yeah, yes. fast and you only and need it, one it, coat and it picks out details <coughs> you might have missed so i love it i love it you totally totally yeah. get that i have two yeah. questions for you yo um did did you have any reactivation mm -hmm. issues where it it muddled the paint no okay cool and so did you have to give it a long dry time or was that just like just a few minutes sort of thing how'd that work i gave it like a minute to dry between layers so not a big deal. So I was fast working yeah. back in there. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask another thing. Oh, and then I had a total random thought. That could mm -hmm. be your musician. He could be howling. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not putting this in with the zombies. He has his own squad of werewolves to oh, lead into okay. battle. Yeah. You, you, you yes. segregate all your people. Param, <clears throat> I just don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> big, big, come on. Werewolf bard in the middle of your zombie horde. Oh, okay. He's got, he's got some buddies. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, he comes in a few poses, which I really like. And so, like, this one's got snarl, I, and I don't know if I'm going to paint that as just drool or blood. Um, so I, I'm, I'm halfway torn on each on that. Yeah, see, because for drool, I'd probably want to use like some of that goo that um, Ninjon uses the, that dries clear and hangs. But blood, you could get a pretty nice glossy blood on that. And I also well, had a small, like, a skill I haven't had to flex in a while where I had dropped one of my copies of him. Mm -hmm. And broke his fingernails off, so I had oh. to get the millipa out and sculpt new claws. Which on the one you painted? Time. No, no, or a different one. He's, on he's next in line. I gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha. I one of my angels suffered a a, a breakage. Similarly, I had to rebuild their spear. Oh no! Yeah, and I should have just printed off a new one, but I was just like, it's claws, and I haven't done anything in Milliput in a while. Let's get a skill up. I totally respect you painting that werewolf so well, but the same thing. If you're doing squads, I just get to point where it's like, okay, there, there's six of these guys. Like, how much time do I really want to put into them <laughs> when I could be, you know, generating another set or, or you know, moving on to a different thing? So, I, but I understand the practice for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely. There's a meditation, well, petting, just a petting, just painting, just one the, thing. 
good news is because base coating normally takes so much of your time and the speed paints eat that base coating time up you know in 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 a fraction of the time that it didn't take me as long as this would have taken if i would have traditionally base coated it with two coats thin coats of just normal layering paint and and then worked my way up on the shadows so even then i think i only spent two hours on this werewolf so He's did got a squad of five. I was going to ask you, was he a zenithal? Yeah, I did just... zenithal. Okay. I did okay. zenithal. Okay. And I do thin my acrylics down so that there's transparent even over top of that. Of course, by the fifth layer of teal, yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's not really there. I mean, anymore. that was a much more classic look to the mini with it being painted up in mm -hmm. layers like that. I wouldn't have thought you'd necessarily even use speed paint on it the way it looks at the end. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Yeah. I mean, the speed paint really is just base coat and to help me, you know, see the details. And then yeah. from then on, it was just like manual highlighting all the way up. No dry brushing except for the uh, except for the glow. the glow because that's just how I do that glow. I could have done that glow with an airbrush, but I guess that's even more cheating than dry brush. Not that there's any cheating at all. You know, though, I don't know. Like for me, like I'm still a noob with airbrushing, so disclaimer. But mm -hmm. sometimes I just like get too excited and pop that thing up, and then it's just boom. It's like <clears throat> all your hard work on there is gone if you just go a little too hard on it, and then suddenly you've got this big. You know, misty globe glob and all. Yeah, that would be a sad panda moment for me. And this is a good time to transition to our main topic, which is really user friendly 3D printers. And the reason this topic's come up is there's been a couple of 3D printers that have just hit the market in like in rapid succession that are focused on the consumer level market. So like this is within the reach of the hobbyist. They are definitely on the pricier side of within the reach. These are not your uh, sub $100, $200 printers uh, in that. But they have very user-friendly focused features. And one is an FDM printer by Anchor, who is new to the 3D printing space. This is their first offering. And they are coming out swinging. Uh, Anchor is a, a very popular electronics brand. I think probably the most that they're known for here in the states is wireless chargers accessories and batteries and stuff that you know but they do are in the high end or mid to high end market in that stuff they're very reliable and reputable brand so that's not not uh your traditional low-end electronics company and they are going with the anchor make ilm5 3d printer that the feature set on this printer is just impressive. Um, it's a $500 asking to get into it. And I'm going to go ahead and throw it up on screen here. Please do. Yeah. So it's a $500 ask. Filled with regret looking at this, but we'll talk about that one more time. Yeah. Um, they're doing a Kickstarter campaign right now for the first run, but there are demo units already in the wild that they have sent to Linus Tech Tips and, and all the 3D printing people. Like, oh, Jesse's gotten hit copy of one. Tested's gotten a copy of one. So, like, they are proud of this printer. They they are not afraid of it. Um, it has, it's, first, it's not, it's not quote-unquote fully assembled, but it's only in two parts. So you just, and all the parts are pre-built, so it's literally just put print bed down put gantry into top of print bed plug in usb-c cable instead of like like little wire jacks and yellow and ke yeah. ketchup and mustard cables okay. and stuff like that that's it with the typical stuff like everything is polished everything looks like consumer grade uh, a consumer grade piece of electronics here this thing like you do not manually level this bed the bed it has built-in touch-based leveling sensor on a like a 48 point grid and they also claim that because they've tuned this printer so well it will print five times faster than your standard ender 3 
Uh, wow. which, and from the test we've been seeing from the people who have early versions of this printer, it lives up to that. Uh, it lives incredible. up to that reputation. But of course, this is pre-production models, um, not the actual production models uh, out there. It's got an aluminum body it's like it's a metal construction it's got a removable build plate it's got a sensor runout feature it's got a built-in webcam to monitor and stream your print so like you don't even have to add that to it wow uh, that's amazing too yeah, they, oh my that's a whole kind thing that of people nut do. and it's got wireless connectivity and all the fun stuff like all the fun toys are on this thing and it's designed to take a lot of the headache out of what I would say the FDM printer, because as somebody who's done some FDM printer and have been, um, uh, it okay. So uh, we've got a question from Christopher Br uh, Brinside. The it it can connect directly to a computer. Uh, it actually uses a uh, I don't know if it's USB C for that connection, but what I mean is USB C cables. Is usually the different modules of a 3D printer will have like these like just lead wires connected to what what look like power supply plugins or like yeah, old even my Mega did raw raw yeah, wire so the, plugs yeah, and... so like very like cheap looking plugs whereas that you like have to jack in and you can like see the bare wire inside inside those things whereas this just use like uses braided USB-C cables to connect all this electronics together so there's a lot less mass there's a lot less exposure plus everything's pre-built um it's just a more polished thing but it does yes it will connect directly to a computer uh via usb it has wireless connectivity i think ethernet as well it's got it's got all the features um it self levels you can set it to self level once or and keep that information or the level between prints automatically so you know for sure that it's going to be level when it prints and that is the most difficult thing about usually keeping a printer going is just making sure it's all leveled up yeah, especially uh, if it's like that for yeah. sure so well. and i've been bragging on the neptune uh, the Neptune 2 because of how easy it was to put together. This thing puts it to shame. Like I don't, I don't even have a BL Touch installed on my Neptune to do that leveling stuff, and it's all built in here. And it, it doesn't use a BL Touch. It actually uses the nozzle head itself to do its leveling. So it's 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 even more accurate than if you had a BL Touch on there. And That's so crazy. just. It's kind of crazy that these features, it's a, like I said, it's a $500 printer. It's the Ender 3 size build plates, um, and it will print fast. And it's just one of the printers on the market these days that is, it's a, it's a new printer. It looks good. And it's focusing on user-friendly. So this is a printer I could recommend just about any, like my, my mom, I could recommend this printer to. She's, right. she's not technically illiterate, but. She's not going to want to change out the bed springs or the or replace the hot end. She just yeah. wants, we want 3D printers need to be at a place where they, you just buy the box, you set it up. Setting it up does not involve pulling out a soldering iron or, and, <laughs> and with minimal tools. Like if, if, if it's more than an Ikea furniture requires, it's too much. Yeah, this is the first time that I, I really saw something that like, I could I could recommend my nephew Benson gets this, you know, and he's still mm -hmm. in school, like high school, I think. Right. It, you know, he he could run that just fine, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Uh, actually, he's really smart. He probably could figure out all the technical stuff that I I avoid mm -hmm. too. But um, you know, someone like that. Actually, my other nephew just got um, that new AnyCubic. <laughs> And I was so jealous because, you know, it was, it was the new fancy thing from Anycubic, mm -hmm. but he does TikToks and um, he streamed a pretty gnarly fail the other day. And I'm just like, oh man, still like that. That's still so 
I, and I, I feel like I'm bagging on Anycubic all the time, but you know, it just it just seems like I see these. It works really well initially, and then suddenly catastrophe. And like uh, I don't know, there's a lot of u- user maintenance. And if this thing's that slick, that is that is amazing. Auto leveling alone, I'd pay a hundred dollars more for. But it has a built-in camera. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like that. I just trust that you buy it, take it out of the box, plug it in, and it goes. And that is what 3D printers need to be. I, I think, especially FDM printers, that seem to be the more you need to have the the willingness to get in there and tweak and customize. Uh, the the uh, whereas resin printers are more get up and go. And speaking of resin printers, the other printer I wanted to to that have given me the idea for this episode is Creality just released the Hollet One Plus or Halo One Plus. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to to say that word uh so the halo one plus is 400 resin printer 4k mono 7.9 inch uh so this is uh this is your pretty typical mid-size 3d printer and it has another set like it's got the built-in feature uh, the built-in air filters it's got a customizable menu screen it will pre-cache your files so that you don't have to leave the usb plugged in you just load the files into the printer take the usb out and it will keep printing it it's got actual good connectivity with the computer it's got network connectivity it's a much better built it, they have made the resin printer that they wanted to make more painless than resin printers and resin printers are already pretty darn painless as it is but mm-hmm. again it's a it's a resin printer that focused on not upping the specs like this is the, like it's coming in at a premium price four hundred dollars for this size printer is a, on like a little bit on the high side it's about double what you could get like a bare bones version of a printer like this but because it has the built-in uh filters where and that you can change the uh the activated charcoal easily without taking the printer apart some of the ones with built-in printers you have to take the whole chassis apart to do it Um, because it has the caching the menus the ease of use on everything they just focused on making a more pleasant experience to use this printer which means that i'm seeing which is what brings me to the topic today, which is that I think that the industry has realized that we don't, we're reaching where the tech is good enough at what it does. These printers are sharp. They are getting super fast. They are making great models well and consistently. And now it's time to make them easy to use for your average user. And so we've got a group of these machines that have decided to put its money not into better resolutions and faster print sizes and bigger build beds that we've been talking about before, but something that they're less scary to get into. They're easier to run, less room for error, the more dependability, the idea that you can just plug this up and use it. And I do think that that's an important step forward. This is the same sort of technological advancements we saw in every other consumer electronics so like when even refrigerators were hitting the market you had these complicated ice boxes and weird mechanical devices and then they got more user-friendly computers i mean i've been a a computer user since there there were consumer level computers like it's like a little one-year-old kid learning how to program basic on my dad's lap um they definitely got easier to use now everybody has a computer in their pocket that they don't have to worry about how many people had to adjust the irq settings of their iphone lately none of y'all 
So right. making these things easier to use for consumers is what is going to grow this industry and get it more out there. If we're going to have Star Trek replicators in all of our homes one day, we have to solve user friendliness. So what currently in the industry in using these in the hobby is in the way. So I think that with we ha we'll talk about it in two steps. So let's first talk about FDM printers, the okay, the the ones we've had the longest, the filament printers. What gets in the way of getting them more mainstream accepted? I would say setup of the printers has historically been a problem. But that is getting better. Even my anti-cubic was faster, so I think that is something we're working on for sure. But yeah, setup right. is is burly. Right. I remember those early uh early kit printers were you know you got. Ex metal extrusions that you had to thread bolts through and and manually tension all the drive belts and plug in all the components and like the circuit board that runs the computers just sort of hanging out there in midair and it's not even secured to anything and sure. now we've got uh and i think that the anchor is is a big step in that direction where like it's get out the box plug the top of it in because you otherwise it would just be a giant big cube and that's harder to ship but plug the top of it into the bottom of it turn it on go that's 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 probably as, as simple as we're going to be able to get like that's as simple as putting together an inkjet printer for your computer i could see eventually a hinge lock system but i don't know how well that would work with the the tracks because i imagine that would get a laminate off a lot so this, right. this may be it you're right and auto bed leveling is a big one like manually leveling a bed and getting it just right and and just right is right like if you're off by like a half of a millimeter even less than half of a millimeter you have a felt print so like yeah. just getting that paper underneath the nozzle the the way we all manually level our beds i mean there's a reason bl touch is just such a godsend to this industry um having built in automatic bed leveling i think is absolutely key to this because that is the source of almost all the print problems that most people have using easy to use materials like PLA. Now, when you start to get into like nylon and ABS, you, that, that does get to be more challenging, but you need, you know, all metal hot ends, higher grade printers, and, and there's definitely more room for failure there. But for just like getting basic PLA to make cool looking toy that you can give your kid or your nephew or, or, or your family as a present, then get just, automatic bed leveling is absolute key to getting that going i think another thing that we'll probably see especially since you've already got a heating element on it but um okay wish list c okay high mm -hmm. end high quality is uh more care about humidity and and filament um like maybe a built-in warmer i don't, like i've seen a couple heated tubes um, the people have rigged up because everybody makes these in cra right. crazy modifications. But like right now, a lot of people are getting humidity, like a box or whatever to keep their filament mm -hmm. dry. Or I'm thinking, I'm saying that this is more, this is more worry stone than reality. Okay. Uh, where, because we've, we've had things like 3d print maker uh, did like a video uh, and Uncle Jesse did a video where they literally soaked filament in water for days and then tried mm -hmm. to print with it and with pla it just worked yeah like i think it's an overblown problem it definitely like with nylon for sure that's like a very moisture sensitive material but for your basic pla i don't think worrying about moisture content 
is in the filament itself is a problem, but mm -hmm. getting bad filament is a problem. So like, and maybe, maybe that's the thing. Is bad. Maybe that's the thing. Cause I had that. Um, I probably, well, I can't remember the name, so I can't name names. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, but I had a role that about halfway through just seemed to start failing over and over yeah. again. And it was, you know, I was like, Oh, it's gotta be the bed. Cause for some reason my bed can get unleveled on a single print. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but, um, but it wasn't, it was just that the, everything I tried to print off of it, fail, fail, fail. Mm -hmm. Like to the point where, you know, after I have a single fail, I'm like kind of a little shook up now and I need to <laughs> go walk it off. So I am not running my uh, FDM printer nearly as much as I want to right now. Right. But I think, that that, I think that kind of does it for resin, like filament printing, because filament printing already doesn't have much of a worry with toxic materials as long as you're using like safer plastics like PLA. Uh, it doesn't have post-processing is, is literally just peel the, the uh, brim off and you're done. Um, and so PLA is, is very close to being super user-friendly. Uh, and, and, but I think PLA is the less sexy of the printing options right now because PLA is still not capable of that insane level of detail that resin printing is capable of. Um, but you can get some cool things like toys and tools and terrain and terrain, yeah, for sure. aids and all that sort of fun stuff pla is is your answer that's a lot of people would enjoy having access to a pla printer that just works hmm. just give it filament things come out the other end of it if something goes wrong and they they've already gotten filament printers to the point where like if the literal power shuts off in your building it can just resume the print as if nothing ever happened and that's like they are very close to being super user friendly resin though resin hmm. has more hurdles to jump over i mean the base is still pretty easy, but mm -hmm. the things that suck, suck. Right. Yeah. So resin printers, the pros, they work right out of the box. They yep. a resin printer comes pre-assembled right out of the box. You just put it on your counter, you know, you take the foam off of it. You, you peel you off some peel sheet. Off, right. You put on your screen protector. You definitely it, put on your screen protector. Yeah. So, except the modern resin printers coming with a screen protector pre-installed. That is becoming a thing now. So yay, screen protectors. And now we can start saying, back in my day, the printer didn't come with screen printers. Yes. <laughs> and that's when, from that moment forward, <clears throat> that's when things get interesting. Because every time I talk about resin printing, when people have a concern or something that's holding them back, it's, well, isn't the resin toxic? How toxic is the resin? So we've got to get past the resin issue. Hmm. So right now, is resin toxic? Yes, don't drink your resin. Don't yeah. get it in your eyes. Don't Wear gloves when handling it. If it gets on your bare skin, it is an allergen and an irritant. People will react to that to different severities, and it will build up over time, and you will lose resistance the more if that direct skin contact exposure happens. If you're not in a well-ventilated area, make sure you wear a mask while you're working with the resin, though there are less odor resins with less fumes um, and there are filters that are being built into the printers. I just bought some of the uh, the just standalone USB powered filters to put in my Saturn uh, just just to have that going on there. So the filters are kind of helping with the fume issue and there's new resins that have less of the, the odor fume issues, but you I've still need to have that, PEI. I've yeah, noticed you, it, it, it varies from batch to batch too, though. Cause I mm -hmm. like got some um, rich opto usually it's very affordable resin. And uh, mm -hmm. I got a bunch of it off Amazon. The first few were great. I could barely tell they were even in there. Like I was stunned mm -hmm. how not smelly it was. And then I got my second order of it and, Good golly, that was terrible. Like so yeah. chemically, I it, like 
this is yeah. an area where because of safety issues and toxicity issues and me want, and needing to trust that the safety sheet that comes with your resin is accurate. Mm -hmm. I'm not really going to ever recommend budget resin to anybody. Mm -hmm. Reputable brand resin people get like this is my opinion, not Kristen's, but like <laughs> I want to be able to trust that when it says, you know, these are the toxic con issues with this particular resin that they're accurate. And mm -hmm. and I fair, don't fair know enough. that I can trust that with cut rate resin, considering that cut rate filament already gives us problems. You know, I'm a bargain shopper and yes, mm -hmm. I have suffered for it on, on occasion. Though right. occasionally I do get some really good yeah. results with it. So I tell you, I, I add tenacious to all my resin. Tenacious, real stinky. Yeah, it is, but not as much as I expected because you kind of warned me about it. My last, my, my, my bottle I'm on right now is, is not terrible. It's there, yeah. but, but then, uh, you know, maybe I'm just desensitized because of all my foul, you know, right. cheap resin I've been huffing. Right. So, but it's the, 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 the actual big safety issues with the resin is drinking it, getting in your eyes and touching it and touching it is less of a, is less than the at first two, but you do not want to get this. So you're having to handle this with gloves. So what needs to happen with resin printers is to reducing the amount of direct skin exposure to resin that we can get in order to make this more friendly. Um, and we're seeing some advances in that with some of the higher end marketed towards professional printers. Um, the Form Labs printers specifically, they put together a slew of printers designed for professional office environments where, you know, if you're, if you're in any sort of professional environment, you care about liability. And so <laughs> having safety features built into your printers and stuff is important. Now, these are not cheap printers. No, they, they are start not. start at $3,000 and go up. These are meant for professional environments, but this gives us a sort of preview of the sort of things that are possible to make our lives easier while using these products. So first off, Formlabs resins don't come in bottles that we manually pour into our printers. They are in cartridges that are slotted into the printer you don't open the bottle it's already in the printer before you get to resin so you've not touched it yet there's something great there for sure absolutely yeah. also as part of the printing process it adds the resin that it needs to the vat it doesn't add a whole bunch of resin to the vat it just adds what it needs to print that's beautiful too yeah so you will not like waste models secondly the vat itself is self-cleaning <laughs> It has like a little scraper thingy uh -huh. and, and, uh, and it works and the, the FEP is built into the vat itself as a disposable unit. Uh, also the FEP is much more durable than the FEPs were so used wait, to. The whole vat's disposable. It's a cartridge that you dispose of when it's time. So you're not cleaning out the it, the vat with alcohol and Just stuff. Just seeing that dollar amount spiral. How much is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is $3,500 for their Mars size print. How much is their disposable cartridge? Oh, I'm sorry. It's more of a uh, it's more of a Saturn size print. Okay, for thirty five hundred. Okay. Um, the the resins itself they go from about what we are used to to more expensive depending on what kind of resin. So the resin's not so much the cost here; it's just the printer and the vats. And they go up like for their large format Jupiter size printer. It is eleven hundred no eleven thousand dollars eleven thousand dollars. And it has similar features. They also have wash and cure machines that are designed like the good wash and cure machines, like the ones that are available for us. 
But this washing cure machine, it drains the resin out of the tank before you even take your print out. And you've used, and, and you can set a timer to let it drip off all the excess resin from the print in advance. So there's less exposure there. Sure. Then you take it. They have like giant handles well away that never touch resin. So these handles have never touched resin that you can take it and put and load it into a washing cure machine that it just take, sinks the whole build volume down into a closed chamber that then wow. washes it and cures it. And then you take it out. So conceivably I would still wear gloves while handling with this printer, but you at no point in time does your skin ever need to touch anything that has touched resin. Wow. That's amazing. Does it uh wet, wet cure? So is it in the liquid? I have no it? idea what the oh, inside okay. of that cure chamber is like. Sorry. We've just been talking it. about wet curing yeah. things lately. So I'm, now I'm like obsessed with it a little bit. <laughs> I started to wet cure something today. I'm like, wait, why am I doing this? This is like opaque and it does. I don't care. It's, yeah. it's a squad. I don't care if it's shiny or not, or has mm -hmm. residue on it. It's going to be fine. Yeah. So this is a, a, like with cartridges, self-cleaning vats, draining the resin out of the printer after it's done with it. Um, the washing cure machines that doesn't require us to touch the part until it's completely safe to touch. Those are the sorts of things that we need to start seeing on our printers to get them into the resin printers to get them in the mainstream for sure. Also filters out filters for days on these printers. Yeah. These are as safe to go with as, as possible. Really. Um, I think that there's, there's, there may be even more room for advancements. Like I could see an enclosed printing system that the washing cure is just built into the printer itself. So then yeah. like it literally just spits out a part on a sprue that you just peel off and you're done. Maybe before we we're checking out, we'll get there. Maybe right. We'll um, but there's some things you can do. Uh, you, you suggested this. So what can we do today with the consumer level stuff that will make printing easier? Uh, so these these mag magical uh, cool printers exist and cost thousands of dollars that we can't yeah. afford as hobbyists. So, hey, maybe if you've got the money, go check out Form Labs. They even have a very cool. Um, they have an SLS printer, which is selective laser centering which is a cool 3d printing technique which does not involve resin so this is completely safe uh from top to bottom okay so what it does is you put a bin full of dust of some material type and then lasers shoot into the dust at precise points to fuse that dust together until it makes the 3d part suspended in the dust so support material is not even required it just prints the part in place how does it penetrate then you the dust? reach down into the dust you and pull, it pull out. your part out. And I've seen these in action. They BMW was printing hubcaps with a printer like this at Maker Fair this year. Wow, that's rad. Yeah. And for the low, low price of $18,500, <laughs> you can you too can 3D print with plastic dust and lasers. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of want to. I've got a new life goal, but... With the build volume of a Saturn, the way. But if you're if you're trying something a little bit better, uh, sorry, a little bit more approachable, I should say, it's certainly not better mm -hmm. because uh, resin's always yucky, messy, and still it's plastic suspended monomers, mm -hmm. and when they fuse, they can do bad things and hurt right. and irritate you. But you can get eco resin yeah now which is still toxic don't drink it don't drink it don't pour it on your pet <laughs> but um plant-based uh resins are out there now that are a lot less toxic um and can be a little bit easier um my understanding is some of them are also easier to clean up they solve right. better um but yeah you, you still 
you can still have i've actually used a couple eco eco resins now because of course they were on sale that's why i got them um <laughs> but uh, i will say uh don't expect it to be any less stinky for sure um mm. but yeah you know i got pretty pretty great crisp prints um i did did run into some uh little bit of issue with um brittleness with one right. ones i used um, and you can mix them also. So like, again, but the second you add tenacious to it, all that eco-friendliness. Just yeah. Dies. Oh yeah. The second you mix it with anything that's not mm. also eco-friendly. I mean, it's all suspended plastic monomers though. So like, it's gonna, mm. it's gonna mix wellish as long right. as you're, you're agitating it and getting it right. stirred up. Well, right. and a lot of the eco-ness is just, we made our plastic monitors out of soybeans instead of oil. Right. Right. Which, you know, sustainability that might be, yep. It is important. important. Yeah. important and to, and PLA know. is made out of sustainable material, so you can print PLA pretty guilt-free. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I will tell you, even still, aside from the occasional flash flash sale or promotional deal, um, even on sale, I want to say I looked at mm -hmm. some eco from Anycubic today. It looked pretty good spec-wise. Mm -hmm. It was forty nine ninety nine for 500, um, 500 mm -hmm. milligrams, whatever. And mm -hmm. um, it was, or 500 grams, grams. I, I'm tired. Anyway, uh, it was um, $26 on this massive dis discount, which if you know, most resin prices is still twice as expensive by volume yeah. as most non-eco. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, and you still have to practice a lot of the same, all of the, no, all, all of the, the same safety precautions. It's still going to stink and be messy, but yeah. it's so a little better. Yeah. And then if you, if you want to like, and the other big thing is like, even if the resin issue is resolved, the chemicals we have to use to clean them are themselves problematic. So, uh, isopropyl alcohol, mm -hmm. denatured alcohol, which is my go-to acetone. If you are like really serious about it and, and man, acetone is so hard to work with. I was going to say, and very it. good at handling it. Cause if you can destroy all sorts of stuff with that, I accidentally put my glove down into acetone because I forgot that it was acetone. And I thought I was working with denatured to pull a part out. And then when I pulled the part out, the glove just melted with it. And I was mm. like, oh, I have to go wash my hands right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spooky. Yeah. So acetone, me I don't really recommend working with acetone. It works great. You can't use it with a wash and cure machine because it will eat the wash and cure machine. Yeah. But that I just said the magic words. A wash and cure machine makes everything easier. Recently, I've had several print runs where I've processed like 40 zombies at the same time where I did not get one drop of resin on my gloves the entire time I was working with the print. Everything from 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 handling the printer and everything got put straight into the wash and cure basket which immediately went into the isopropyl alcohol which came out with you know came out clean and then taking the support material off like resin did not get on my gloves during the entire print and post process because of washing cure machines and i think that that is key to getting this accepted long term is that those have to become standard parts of the kit. In fact, I'm I am ordering a new wash and cure machine. Um, you just got a good one. Yes, I just got a good one, and I'm ordering the 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 bigger one, the one made specifically for the Saturn, where the wash and cure are separate stations. Yeah. Uh, so that I can take the build plate off the Saturn and put the build plate straight into the machine without a basket being involved. And then it will clean the print right there. 
uh, without any any touching of resin. So once you so get to that, that level, does it still suspend upside down? How does yeah, how does you, that you, work? So the basically the new the uh, the uh, the Mercury Plus or uh, I forget what it's called. The it's new Mercury. Mercury Plus. It's the new Mercury one, yeah. Plus, I think you're right. It has a in the wash station. It has a it has a uh, it's designed for an area where you can put the entire Saturn build plate into the machine and it holds it up a little bit in uh, in the like you submerge it into the liquid, but it holds it there and it will wash the print while it is still attached to this uh, into the build plate. So you don't put it into a basket. You just put your build plate straight into the machine. It cleans it right there. You've got clean prints. You could really, really cut down your exposure resin that way then. Yeah. And then that point, that point, you're just pulling out a clean print. You're good to go from there. You, you pop it off the build plate, pull the supports off, throw it into the cure chamber to harden the outer layers. Resin exposure massively reduced. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest worry right now is ever since I started adding tenacious and I don't know if you've had this problem, like, getting things off the plate mm. is now like it's a workout. <laughs> like if I don't get under that lip and I know you probably are smart and like do some sort of cool trick, with, like putting things yeah. under your lip or yeah, of course you are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me right now, like sometimes if I don't do that, it is brutal. And getting those angels so off. Was, was I have first I print with a raft that has a bit a bevel to make it easier to put your, your scraper under it. Thing number one. Yeah. And you can just do that in Slicer. Um, but even when I don't do that, I have a Wham Bam Flex plate on my Saturn. So I can just pull the middle off, flex, minis pop off straight into the cure chamber. It's 40 bucks, but it's worth it. Is it me easy to install? Because I'm, I'm Yes, but you your printer is offline for two days because it takes two days for that adhesion to cure permanently. Gotcha. Yeah, and you have to I mean, follow the instructions. You have to sand the build plate. Sand, you, know, you sand the build plate. You clean the build plate first, then you sand it and, and really clean it. This is this might be where the acetone comes in for the build plate itself. Don't let acetone ever touch this magnet; it will chew through it. Hmm. Um, the, but you know, clean the build plate with alcohol, sand it so that it gets good grip. Put the thing on it. Do not touch it for two days. Then you're good to print again. If I were to do that, I'd probably just buy a second build plate. Which is something we didn't talk about. Buying a second mm-hmm. resin tank can also really make dealing with your resin woes a lot easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can also make it really bad if you accidentally drop it. Yeah. it. Yeah. But, yeah. So there's I that. I can't take it away clumsy though. <laughs> definitely do get the syringes, the large syringes to empty your resin out instead of trying to do the balance the giant build plate and pour it into the funnel. Oh no, That's I'm still a doing disaster. that. That's a disaster <laughs> waiting to happen. I've I've had so many resin accidents at this point that's just like, do not do as I do. Do as I have learned not to do. You will have to put your recommended accidents. syringes in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that way you just never have to touch the resin as or at least as little as possible. And yeah. always wear gloves. Always, 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 always wear gloves. And if you don't want to buy disposable gloves, you can get laboratory permanent non-disposable gloves that you just wash off between prints. Like if you want to look real cool, if you want to get your inner breaking bad on and just like that, giant elbow length, like that still spooks me like gloves. Resin just is sneaky. It's like mm-hmm. I've started to notice it's starting to accumulate on the cord of my, um, uh, agitator that I, the X, I, I'd use that little vibrational agitator thing. And I can tell there's some, I'm like, that's not cured. I'm going to have to like set it out in the sun or something. Let it like 
get rid of it all because it's getting a little yellow look to it. I'm like, that is from resin. Anyway. And the final thing is I'm going to include as part of our shout outs. The annoying thing to get with printers is finding the right exposure time for your resin. Uh, more and more, this is becoming crowdsourced and easy. Like uh, Lachi software will just has a giant category of resin and printer usages. And like, do you want a room or not room? What layer heights do you want? And it just, it has those built in. But if you need to tune resin or a custom mix of resin, uh, the cones of calibration have become the best way to do that, in my opinion. And there's a new version of it coming. Basically, it is a very easy to use calibration tool where if this like it, it it has a side that's meant to print successfully so it's a series of cones that are connected by supports at okay. different diameters so it is literally testing can your printer print with this exposure setting a support that will hold this much weight gotcha. as a side that is meant to succeed and a side that is meant to fail so that you don't overexpose so gotcha. it's like you've got to get so you basically tune your exposure in half sec like it, it has full instruction manual on, on gotcha. their website cones of calibration digital foundry uh did it um and it is uh, is it no is it digital foundry who did the cones of calibration i have a link to it in my show notes uh not it went right to a video so i had to kill it because i didn't want the video to start playing my my other laptops hooked up to my gaming room speakers and that would have been really loud Table Flip Foundry. Table Flip Foundry put this together. Uh, they're support specialists is, is, is what they do. And so you've got it right when one side succeeds and all the cones, especially the one cone that is at the end that is marked, this cone printed successfully and the one next to it failed on the other side of the model. And it in its self-cleaning, it has an overhang that's meant to pick up the pancake off the, the, the build volume. So you don't have to worry about that fascinating yeah so it's like uh pick it has a, just a roof overhang that just picks the pancake up off of the build plate and you're good hmm. uh at the end when it's done printing so this one fails this one succeeds six your your printer is calibrated to work with pre-supported models nice I like yeah it. check it out uh table flip foundry cones of calibration that is the other easy way to make printing so much less pain. All right. So we are out of time, Kristen. Anything you want to shout out to before we bounce out of here? No? Uh, nothing, no, nothing's uh, jumping out at me right now. Well, then definitely go check out Lost Fears Publishing, Kristen. Oh, sure. You can always check that out. And and get your screen protector. Get your screen protector. We actually already worked that in this episode, though. Yeah, this is true. For, for you, uh, you know, old souls that still have to worry about your screen protectors, because soon apparently it's just going to be done. Well, you have to replace them. Like when the screen protector is what when when you have a FEP fail, you have to replace the screen protector. So make oh, sure you are printing with one. You get a new one, yeah. Keep keep yeah. some on hand. There you go. Mm -hmm. That's a good yeah. tip too. Because if you don't have, have one, one hand, to go. then you have to decide whether or not you really want to keep printing for the day once you go through no. your FEP. Don't, which I recommend don't do no. that. Especially the game. time you when you do your FEP and you take all that time mm -hmm. to then you don't want to mess up your printer if you did it bad. So if to if you want to support the show, you can do so by giving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, giving us a like and subscribe, as well as a comment in the comment section. Those help the algorithm and help those companies know that you want to listen to our podcast and help spread us to more and more people to help us grow. You can find more of us over at the printergames.com website. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash printergames. We're on Twitter at twitter.com slash printyourgames. And until next time, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also knows Param. I'm Kristen Sarvitz, also knows Lost Spheres. And we will see you next. Thanks for listening.